It was great worship in the two services today, and I, I thank Kent for that. He does a great job uh, in leading us into worship, and he has been one of the joys uh, since coming here. But I have to admit, uh, his germaphobic nature is odd to me. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, really, you know, he fist bumps instead of handshakes, and I, I, I don't, it kind of cracks me up. And the other day, I was uh, surfing through the internet, and I, I ran across a video that I'd seen several years ago from one of my favorite comedians, and it immediately made me think of Kent. So this is Tim Hawkins. <laughs> well, if you're a guest of ours, we are glad you're here today. And if you're from Arkansas, we're glad you're here as well. It is great church here at Burlington, and I, I, I hope that uh, you'll make this uh, your home. Uh, speaking of traveling, if you're traveling today, I've been traveling a lot the last five years. I got to writing down where I've been in the last five years. I've been to South America seven times. I've been to Israel. I've been a couple of times to the West Coast. I've been to Utah several times. I've been to Idaho twice, to Dallas, to Florida, to New York, and three times to Vermont. And as I travel, I've noticed that there's some practices on airlines that are extremely odd to me. And one of the things that always gets me, this one thing in particular, is how they allow the people who are going to sit in the front of the plane to board first. Have you ever noticed that? People who sit in the front board first? And it is not a comfortable place to be, three across in a seat that's made for one and a half. It's not comfortable to sit there, and you're usually there for 30 or 40 minutes until it gets going, and you know that the airplane doesn't really get the air conditioner going until the engines and everything rev up, and so you're sitting there, and then on top of that, all the people who are in the back come through beating you with their purse and their bags and stuff, and I thought, why don't you let the people in the back of the plane on first? Makes sense, right? Now, I know why they don't do it, I think, because you want to make sure that you got the overhead bin space for the people, da, 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 whatever. I get that. But then I saw this video the other day that made me think maybe something else is going on. I never knew that was what was going on there. <laughs> you know, that, that's funny, but the sad reality is people have been playing favorites since man was kicked out of the garden. Uh, men give advantage to some, and even if it's at the expense of others. They treat some people like they're better than and ignore others. They, they take good care of some and not so good care of, of others. And it starts when we're young. You know, at recess, we, we play favorites, and it happens on ball teams, and it's seen in who's invited to the parties and who's left off the list. And favoritism comes into play when you go get a job. It's not what you know, it's who you know. That's right. Uh, and it happens in so many facets of life that we just come to the place where we consider favoritism normal. This is just the way life works. And when we're on the receiving end, I confess, I like it. You know, when people do favors to me because of who I am or what, oh, it's so nice. But when we're on the other end, it's not so fun. I was thinking this week, why does it happen? Why do we play favorites? And, and one of the reasons we do is because we simply gravitate toward people who are like us. That is so natural. Uh, favoritism oftentimes comes out of proximity. If you play sports or go to a certain school or work with people, you're going to have people who you have an affinity for and who you show extra kindness, favors to. Sometimes... Uh, we just have to acknowledge the fact that we naturally love some people more than others. I mean, that's true. 
We love our family more than others. A lot of times our, our co-workers, our close friends, we give more attention to them. We'll go out of the way for them. And really there's nothing wrong with that. But when that treatment causes you to treat other people worse, then it becomes ugly favoritism. And it can really get ugly. We can start seeing people not for a gift from God and a friendship. We can start seeing people for what they can do for us. You know, we think someone might have something to offer us. And so we give them special privilege. If I help them, then maybe later on down the road. You know, if I, if, if I hang out with them, then other people might think better of me. If I go the extra mile for them, you know, then maybe, you know, we think that somewhere down the road it'll come back to us. You know, maybe they'll give us a job. Maybe they'll let us on the team. Maybe they'll let my kid on the team. It's in this moment that this favoritism starts to get slimy. And it can get so bad that we can start to see people as having different values. There's some really important people and there's some not so important people. Uh, We've deemed some people worthy and some people not. And the weird thing is, is we see it so much, that's just the way life is. I mean, right? I mean, it it is just the way life is. But yet, James says in our passage today that this should not be normal for people who are a part of the body of Christ. Now, if you were here last week, you remember we talked about pure religion. We, We talked there was a religion that is pure and undefiled, and that religion primarily consists of two things. It consists of taking care of the widows and the orphans, making sure we care for those who can't really do anything in return for us. And then it says to keep ourselves unstained by the world or unspotted. Your Bible might say polluted from the world. Now, the rest of the book of James, or a large part of the rest of the book of James, he's going to talk about what does a polluted life look like. And and immediately he jumps in here in chapter 2 to someone who plays favorites. My brother's do not show favoritism. This rises to the level of Ten Commandments terminology. Do not, you shall not, play favorites in your life. Now, the Greek word for favoritism is a word that simply means to be a respecter of persons. Uh, And what he's saying is we shouldn't assume that one person is more important than another. Don't treat people differently. Now, the reason we shouldn't do this, we might think it's because it's not fair. If you treat one person better than another because it's not fair, but some would say it's not loving, but the reason we should not show favoritism is because we should only be impressed by God. God's the only thing in this world that should rise to a level of going, Wow. Listen to what he says in verse 1. My brothers, don't show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Because you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, this is your foundation for not playing favorites. When you say you have faith, you're saying that I believe there's a God in heaven, and I believe in his son Jesus Christ, and I believe his glory outshines everything else in this earth. Now, this means that there is this being in heaven right now that has a glory like you can't imagine. And glory, that was always a slippery term for me, glory. What's glory mean? Well, uh, it's kind of rooted in a word that means shiny, like an aura. If it were in our day, we would say there's an awesomeness about 
there's this God in heaven who has this awesome nature about him. And in fact, Revelation says right now in heaven, there's this being that dwells in unapproachable light. And if we could see him, if we, we, we would look at him and just be overwhelmed. In fact, the Bible says, if you saw him with your naked eye, you would perish. That's what, what the scripture teaches. And what James is saying here, if you believe in him, you should not be a respecter of persons. You should understand one simple fact. There's a God in heaven, and then there's people. There's this great big God who is filled with glory, who's filled with awe and wonder. And then there's just a bunch of us who are a bunch of little nothings. That's the dichotomy that Scripture shows us. And yet we get caught up with what we think is the impressiveness of man. If you want a devotional for tonight, I encourage you to read Isaiah chapter 2. In Isaiah chapter 2, there is this, this contrast between man's accomplishment and man's pride and man's glory. And then it's set in comparison to God. And it says man's glory is just like breath, just like smoke out of the nostrils of God. It's just here and gone. But God's glory remains forever. And James's point is simple. Here it is. How could those of you who have such a great big God treat people like they're really something special? How could those of you who say there is a God and then there's just a bunch of little nothings treat some of those little nothings like they are just something awesome? Why should we drool over the accomplishments of man? I'm going to tell you we're going to get into a passage that truthfully is a little bit embarrassing to me because I would think that as a preacher, someone who understands the greatness of God, someone who understands that he is so much bigger than us that I would never have any problem with this, but I can fall prey to it as well. I was um, uh, down in Memphis a couple years ago. A friend of mine that I played a lot of golf with had qualified for the U.S. Open sectional now, the way the U.S. Open works, any of you with a 10 handicap or less can go out, and I think it's a 10 handicap, it might be a 2 handicap, but it's a low handicap. You can go out and you can apply, pay your fee, and try to play in the U.S. Open. You go to a local qualifier, he went to a local qualifier, 175 golfers, he won it. Went on to the sectional qualifier, and at the sectional qualifier, there's a lot of pros there who get exempt from the first round. And there were 80 pros going to be down in Memphis playing at this. And my buddy was going to be playing alongside them, big names playing in this. And I wanted to go down there and watch because nobody knows about this stuff. And they go do this practice, or not practice round, this tournament round on a Tuesday, Wednesday. Uh, and very few people are down there, and you don't have to pay, and that's what I really liked. And so I went down there, and I literally on the range watching some of the guys I watch on TV every weekend from me to, to, to Pat, just sitting there watching them hit balls. It was a lot of fun, and I could walk around, follow several groups. Well, I was in the snack bar. Imagine that. I was in the snack bar, and there was about 10 people in line waiting to get snacks. And in behind me walked David Duvall, who was trying to qualify. If you don't know who David Duvall is, in the 1990s, late 90s, he was ranked number one in the world ahead of Tiger at the time. Many thought he was better than Tiger. Uh, he won the British Open, won several other tournaments, was big-time golfer, but his health failed, and he kind of drifted away a little bit, so he was trying to qualify for the U.S. Open again. Well, he walks in between hitting balls on the range and going out to play on the first tee, and I thought, that's a strange habit for a pro, but he came in and was wanting to get a snack. And so he's standing in line behind me, and I thought, oh, my goodness, it's David Duvall. Should I talk to him? You know, because he might talk differently than me or something. And I decided not to talk to him. 
But then all of a sudden, the guy who was first in line said, Hey, Mr. Duvall, come up here. And he got in front of me in line. Favoritism, when it doesn't go your way, is not fun. But we know that that's the way the world works. Some people are always going to get pushed to the front of the line, and some people are never going to get there. We see that. We know that. And, and while favoritism is going to happen in the world, what James is going to teach us this morning is there's no way that it should happen in the church. Favoritism shouldn't be a part of, of, of our family. But it does happen in the church. Here's where it gets rough this morning. He uses an illustration in verse 2. For example, a man comes into your meeting and he's wearing a gold ring and he's dressed in fine clothes and he's driving the Escalade and he's got a family of four who are all behaving and they look like they're successful and they're doing well and they're dressed to the nines and, and, and he comes in and there's another man who comes in right behind him and this man is poor and he's in dirty clothes and, and they both come in at the same time. And then James says, if, and I know this would never happen here, but if you look with favor on the man wearing the the fine clothes, and you say, hey, 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 come here. I want, him, I want you to meet two or three folks. Sit here. This is the best seat in the house. You know, you know he, sit here. And then you see the man who doesn't have much, and you say, yeah, you know, I, we don't really have room in the good spots, but you can sit on the floor if you want, or you can sit on the front pew if you want. But... Listen to what... James is teaching us. You've discriminated. And you yourselves become judges with evil thoughts. He immediately says, when we act like that, we wear the label of evil. And we take a role that's not ours. Now, I know it would probably never happen at Burlington, but what if, just what if, let's just imagine, what if a famous person comes to church? You know, what would you do? You know, would you get your friends and say, guess who's here? Guess, guess, guess who's here? Would you try to meet them? Would you try to have them sign your Bible? You know, what would you do? But would a person who's rejected by the world get the same treatment? We have to somehow get past this because the Bible says we shouldn't be showing special attention because of their wealth or because of their fame or because of the talent. We should not be a respecter of persons. We should respect God and treat all people the same. And, and can we get there? I don't know. I, but I think we can. Imagine with me, okay? Y'all ready? Imagine with me if John Calipari came in here this morning and he sat down next to you. And if you have trouble with that and you're demented, imagine if Rick Patino <laughs> came in and sat down beside you, okay? Or if you don't care about sports, imagine if Oprah Winfrey came in and sat down beside you. That wouldn't do it? All right. I was going to say Kenny Rogers, but that probably wouldn't do it either, brother. <laughs> Whoever, whoever came in and sat down beside you, imagine if they sit there beside you, would you think you would be distracted a little bit in worship? I mean, let, 
Do you think, I mean, I'm going to just be honest, I'd be distracted in worship. I think most of us would be distracted in worship. But what if in that moment that you were sitting there next to Cal, next to Oprah, next to Kenny or whoever, and all of a sudden on stage, God splits the roof of this place and he allows his glory to fall on the stage. And he shows up in his magnificence and his splendor and his glory. Do you think Cal would be distracting at that point? You see, that's the answer, guys. That's why he starts out, we are believers in the glorious Lord of our, our Lord Jesus Christ. If we would get a real picture of who he is and what he's done, then we wouldn't be so distracted by other people. So one of the reasons we shouldn't fall over ourselves and be a respecter of persons is they're, not, they're nothing compared to God. They're just, they're just not. But then he gives another reason in verse 5. Listen, he says, listen, my dear brothers, didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he's promised to those who love him? Didn't he promise him? And yet he says in verse 6, you dishonored the poor man. Now, hadn't God chosen them? Shouldn't you now? Now, what's his second point? And this is going to be hard for you, so hear me out. We shouldn't be a respecter of persons because God has chosen the many poor to be saved. In general, isn't this the way it usually works? It, 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 it is the poor who trust God. Now, this doesn't mean that there aren't rich people who are going to be saved. It's just rare. Jesus said it's harder for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. You know, it's tough. Because rich people trust in their riches. They trust in their intelligence. They trust that they've got everything together. And why do I really need God? And I mean, really, a lot of times, rich people think until I get old and my health starts failing, I don't really need him. And so God says, okay, you don't need me, fine. I'll spark faith in the hearts of the poor. Now, I would expect some of you to ask the question, well, isn't God showing favoritism by choosing the poor? Well, don't miss what the Scripture says. Listen to what he said in verse 5. Listen, God chose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he promised to those who love him. I mean, there's still got to be repentance and faith in Christ for a person to be saved. It's hard for the rich. And rich people just have a hard time being saved because they just have a hard time seeing that they need God. That's the way it is. And it's as if James saying here in this passage, don't miss this, if it were okay to show preference and show favoritism, then it should be shown to the poor. Because that's who God chose. We shouldn't stumble over ourselves to, to talk to the rich who come in because the rich are probably not going to trust God completely anyway. And the rich in this day, uh, they, they, they were the ones who were exploiting the church. They were treating them bad, and, they, and yet they'd come in and they were giving them seats of honor, like, oh man, the church is really going to be something now because this person's coming in. Listen to what James says. Yet you dishonored that poor man. Don't the rich oppress you and drag you to court? Then verse 7, this is even worse. He says, don't they blaspheme the noble name that was pronounced over you at your baptism? You're stumbling all over the rich, and they act like Jesus is just this little piece of a pie in their life, and they can go on without them. There's something wrong with that. The rich people that they were doting over were even blaspheming God. Now, guys, for those of us who say that God's the most important thing in our life, 
I've often wondered, why do we dote over people who say that our Jesus is nothing? Because I think you really need to examine your heart in this. Because we, we fawn over people who say that God is not real. Why would Bill Maher be any of our favorite comedians? When the basis of his comedy is to deny the existence of God. Or Brad Pitt be our favorite actor. Angelina Jolie be our favorite actress. When they publicly say, God's not real. It's a fairy tale. Or even, I mean, people my age, even like Billy Joel, why would he be our favorite singer when, oh, he strikes a chord in my heart. What chord? He doesn't believe that God's real. Publicly. Pronounces his atheism. And yet, we, we, if they showed up, everything would stop. Man, look at these guys. They're awesome. They're here. Maybe they'll give us something. What if one day we could see people the way that God sees them? Think in your life. If, who do you think God would lift up in your life that you know? If he were to say, hey, hey, look at that person. I, rem- I know who Jesus lifted up when he went to the temple treasury. It wasn't the rich people who pulled from their pockets and slung stuff in the offering plate like they were something. It was just this little old widow lady. People that everybody else would ignore. Verse 8. Indeed, keep the royal law prescribed in the scripture. Love your neighbor as yourself. You do that, you're doing well. We want to be treated with respect and dignity. We don't want favorites to be played for us. And then listen to what he says. But if you show favoritism, this is a big deal. He says, if you show favoritism, you commit sin. That's not an... This is you commit sin. Big deal. And you're convicted by the law as a transgressor. Verse 10, for whoever keeps the entire law and yet fails at one point is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said, don't commit adultery, also said, don't murder. And if you don't commit adultery and yet you murder, you're a lawbreaker. Verse 12 says, speak and act as those who will be judged by the law of freedom. And then he says in verse 13, for judgment is without mercy to the one who hasn't shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, it's as if James is saying, look, guys, you're going to be judged. All of you are going to be judged. And do you really want to be judged by your works or your accomplishments? Because we judge other people. Look what they've done. That song spoke to me. Man, that movie, it made it for me. Wow, that, that coach, that whatever. Do you, they're going to be judged by what they've done just like you're going to be judged by what you've done. I don't know about you, but if a VCR tape... Do any of y'all know what a VCR tape is? If a digital recording of my life, even if that's the right thing now, if somebody were, (laughs) were periscoping my life and they watched every second of it, I, I, I don't want to be judged by that. And even if you think you're better than, I assure you, that when nobody's looking and the camera's still running, 
there are flaws there. Is Judy Clore in here today? Judy in here? She's not in here, Dad. I didn't see her. So, oh, she is here. I'm going to talk about you, okay? All right. Judy, uh, uh, Judy had the staff over a few months ago. And, man, she's a good cook. She had us over, and, and at the end of the day, she cooked a red velvet cake. And it was good. It was really good. In fact, it was so good, I said, Judy, when I leave, I expect to get one of these as a parting gift. And by the way, uh, June 5th is my last Sunday here. Just let, no pressure. <laughs> but uh, imagine if Judy was making this red velvet cake, and she was preparing it, and all of a sudden, while she was preparing it, uh, a, a, a toxic chemical spilled in her kitchen, and she wasn't sure if part of it got into the cake batter or not. And she brought that to me. She still baked it, still looked perfect. She got that thing fixed up, and oh my goodness, smells good, looks good. But she brings it to me and says, Nick, I just need you to know that there might be something poisonous in this. I can assure you I'm not eating it. That is what James is saying. Those of you who think you're above, you think you're better, you think some people are better and above, everybody has broken the law at at least one point, and because of that, we are all guilty before God. Every one of us. Now, this is a hard statement for us because we like in society to believe that there's a percentage of righteousness. You know, as long as I'm better than most people, then I'm going to be okay with God. My daughter called the other day, and there was a kid in school who was breaking out windows. And, you know, they allow kids to text and call and stuff. And she called and said, Mom, there's this kid breaking out windows at our school. And she, my wife said, what's going on? Are you okay? She said, well, I'm here with Caitlin. And she said, I don't know what we ought to do. My, my wife said, well, run and get out of there. And she said, well, I don't know if I can outrun him. And my wife said, all you got to do is outrun Caitlin. But anyhow, <laughs> that's the way we think God operates. All I've got to do is outrun some of y'all. But the truth is God expects perfection in us that's an expectation you don't believe me read matthew chapter 5 sometimes unless your righteousness exceeds that of the pharisees and the scribes of the people who look like they're doing good you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven and then he ends that chapter by saying be ye perfect as your father in heaven is perfect and here's the deal we all know that none of us are there we all fall short there's a drop of poison in all of us and that's why God doing a miracle. God said, I will take on your punishment for your flaws. I will extract the poison through the work of the cross. I will send my son who will live a perfect life, who will die a vicarious death, a death on your behalf. So that he could be the payment, a big Bible word, is the propitiation for your sin. You were wrong. He was perfect. He sacrificed his life for you. Now, with that said, we have to remind ourselves that we are not judged by how valuable we are. We are. We're judged by the mercy we've been shown. Hallelujah. 
I mean, listen, I don't have a drop of poison in my heart. I have an ocean of poison in my heart. I wish it were not true, but it is. But his mercy abounds where sin abounds. And where sin runs deep, his grace is more. And the cross and the mercy of the cross never fails to provide what we need. Cleansing with God. With that said, those who've received mercy should show it to others. The world's value system, guys, can't drive us. Cal's not going to heaven because the cats play well. Just not going to do it. Your, your favorite whoever is not impressive to God. Don't act like it. No. You want to you, you change this world? Act like you have a different value system. That'll change this world. And we must not be consumers. We're to be fulfilled by God so much that we don't go around wanting stuff from others or wanting people to... to the reputation of the church is all we want your money, all we want your stuff. The reputation of Christians is you just want to get ahead by using me. We should not be like that. We must be different. God should be so amazing to us that we don't need anything the world has. And then finally, I pray that if you gain anything from this message, that you will realize you need to see people the way God sees them. Rich or poor, young or old, talented or the rest of us. God looks at us and sees the broken. But he also sees somebody who can be redeemed. And I want to tell you, God loves you not because of what you can do for him. <laughs> he, he doesn't love me because I stand up and preach. And he doesn't love you because of what you can give him. He doesn't need us, folks. He chooses to love us. He loves us because that is who he is. And that's the way he expects us to be. Let's pray. Father in heaven, there's times I preach messages, Lord, that I, you know and I know that I... I I get to pretty close to the way you want. And then there's other times, God, that, um, Lord, I, I, I fall short. Lord, sometimes I'm impressed by men. Um, and, God, that doesn't mean we shouldn't encourage. I know that. I know it doesn't mean we shouldn't, uh, 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 Lord, be grateful for what others do in for us and but but Lord I pray that I would never lose sight that our value is is found in the fact that you love us and you've shown mercy to us. God I pray Lord that this church would live by that by that premise that Lord you 
are greater than anything. And you are greater than anyone. And Lord, I pray that you will help us to treat people, whoever they are, with love like you've shown us. In Jesus' name.